Hey, thanks for joining us at Connection Point Church. You know, we would love for you to stay connected and a simple way for you to do that is to subscribe so that each week you can get notified when new content goes live. We'd also love to keep in touch with you throughout the week and the best way to do this is through our Connection Point Facebook page. Now with all that being said, let's go to this week's message with our lead pastor, Zach Maddox. Well, in all my years, I have never seen so much love expressed in our world. People taking care of one another, looking out for one another, people having very civil conversations in person and online, even when they disagree. Isn't it amazing? And isn't everything I just said absolutely false? Oh my word. I don't know if I've ever seen people more at odds with one another than I do right now. I don't think so. People disagree about everything. And what I found is it's not just people outside the church, but that can happen with Christians as well. Uh, to be honest, it's actually been a really interesting time to, to lead people. Uh, so I want to share with you a joke that pastors pass around this summer. So this is a pastor's joke. You may not find it funny. I found it funny. So pastoring a joke in 2020 be like church member number one. Pastor, why in the world are you reopening the church services so soon? Church member number two, pastor, why in the world did you ever shut down church services in the first place? A week later, church member number one, pastor, you don't seem to care about the struggles of minorities. Church member number two, pastor, why haven't you been more supportive of the police? A week later, church member number one, require masks. Clearly, you don't care about human lives. Church member number two, require masks. Clearly, you don't care about human liberty. A week later, the pastor in prayer. Lord, are you sure you don't want me selling cars? <laughs> if you can't laugh this morning, I don't know how to help you. I don't know. <laughs> I would say, I actually, I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of a grace-filled church uh, where really a lot of this has not been at the forefront for us. Um, but at the same time, it's not to say we have not dealt with some of that. And it, it's been a difficult year. That's really what it comes down to. Grace upon grace. It's been hard for everyone to love well this year with everything that people have gone through. It's been a lot. And yet with God's word as our guide, we have some really good instruction on how we can love well as followers of Jesus. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. I'm not talking about people outside these walls. I'm talking about us this morning. We really have a guide that we can follow that shows us how do we love well even in these times. So if you have your Bibles, hey, I hope you've got God's Word with you today. We're going to be in John chapter 13 as we continue our Better Together series and talk about Jesus and love. Jesus and love. It's, it's really important. We are better together in the kingdom of God, and, and love has to be a, a foundational principle for us. So John chapter 13, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. Uh, we stand as we read God's word just to remind us these are God's words to us, and he speaks to us through them, and, and so we can rely on God's word. It's, it's trustworthy and true. And we're going to be in, in verse, see where I'm starting, 33 this morning, verse 33 through verse 35. In 33... Jesus speaking to the disciples, he's having a final meal with them, he's about to go to the cross, and, and so here's what he tells them, little children, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I'm going, you cannot come. So knowing he's about to depart, 
he wants to leave them this instruction. And here's what he says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. So last week, we talked about Jesus in serving. We discovered that we find our lives by serving. We follow in the footsteps of Jesus, our role model who came to serve and not be served. And so what happens as we follow that role model we have in Jesus, we find the life that we've been looking for. And I was glad to see a lot of people did sign up as they went out these doors or or online and signed up to be a part of guest services, uh, greeting people, welcoming people on a Sunday, uh, signed up in kids' spaces to be able to disciple and mentor our boys and girls, uh, signed up for music and production teams to help us, especially as we continue to to help people worship um, in their home setting. It's really important right now. So thanks for signing up to be a part of that. You see, we were made to give our lives away and be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And I don't know that I really drove this home last week, but there is nothing bigger than being part of seeing people's lives change for all of eternity. There's nothing bigger in this world that you could be a part of than that. Because it's eternity that's at stake. Consider this today. By serving in the local church, we get to make an eternal impact with our lives. That's huge. So may we never lose sight of that. Anything else we achieve in this life, it could fade. But the lives that are changed by serving in God's kingdom will last for all of eternity. That's big. We were meant to serve and make an eternal impact with our lives. And and I hope that we all decide to do that through serving. So again, I mentioned it in the announcements, but feel free to jump online, connectionpointchurch.org, and just click on a place to serve. Two things, you find your life through serving and you get to know the, the body that you're a part of. Both are important. You see, as Christians, we are meant to serve. And from our passage this morning, we also find we are meant to love. In fact, we find that love is a defining characteristic of Christians. Maybe you'd ask, well, well why? Well, the first thing we find is that love is a defining characteristic of Christians because God is love. That's why. That's really the starting point. And you want to know what love is? Love is the Son of God coming to earth as an infant, born in the same place where animals were kept. Can you imagine that? Heaven, animal stall. Who does that? Think about what happens in barns. We've got a lot of farmers here. If you don't know, go visit a barn. They're dirty places, right? That is love. Love is a God who loves his enemies to the point where he's willing to sacrifice his son for their eternal benefit. I'm not sure we can ever fully understand that kind of love. Paul, a follower of Jesus, he, he writes about this kind of love in a, in a letter to Rome. Here's what he writes. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Not after we'd figured it out. No, while, in the middle of it all, he sent him. We find in John 3, 16, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. This is love. Love is God sending his son to die for us so we might no longer be slaves to sin. We've been set free by Jesus to step into the life he's prepared for us in his kingdom. This is love. 
Love is Jesus emptying himself of his divine attributes so he can serve as our role model, someone we can follow. This is love. You see, Jesus is love. Jesus models for us self-sacrificing love. That's why love is meant to serve as a defining characteristic of Christianity, because our king is all about love. And the question is this morning, have you accepted the love of Jesus? Or have you considered yourself unworthy of his love? You know, here's the thing. None of us is worthy to receive the love of Jesus. None of us. But he loves us anyway. We were enemies of God. Jesus died for us. I pray I never get over that. I was an enemy of God, and Jesus died for me. You were an enemy of God, and Jesus dies for you. May we never get over that. The only thing we really deserve in life is eternal separation from God. That's what we deserve. If we received what was fair, we would all receive a hellish eternity. That's what's fair. Why? Because we all fall short. Every one of us. No one in this room, no one online, no one in our overflow rooms, nobody's perfect. So I'm sorry, wives. No matter what your husbands have told you, you're not perfect. He just doesn't want to sleep on the couch, right? Nobody's perfect. We all fall short. And God knew it. So he sent his son to take care of our evil nature and make a way for us to live forever with him. Forever. We don't deserve it but we are given the opportunity anyway. Why? Because God is love. So this phrase, God is love, it's actually unique. This was absolutely unheard of in the first century. God is love? What are you talking about? God is angry, God is jealous, God is vindictive, God is selfish. God's a lot of things, but God's not love. I mean, look at some of the gods of Rome. Jupiter, God of the sky who causes storms. Neptune, the God who makes the sea rage. Venus, the goddess of love and desire and even prostitution, the use and abuse of people. Mars, the god of war, and the list goes on and on. The idea that God is love was absolutely unique to the Christian faith. John, one of the disciples of Jesus, he writes about this idea in a book called 1 John. And here's, here's what he writes in, in verse seven. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. There it is. That's absolutely unique with John. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God is love. That phrase was, and can I say is, still unique to the Christian faith. We lived in the, in the Middle East, North Africa for a lot of years, and, and I can tell you, you talk to a Muslim, I have yet to find one that would describe God as love. You talk to a, a Hindu, I don't know one that would tell you that, that God or gods are love. Only in the Christian faith will you find that God is love. And I think we need to make sure we communicate that. And I want to say that this love is meant to be received. It's meant to be received. I love how John writes in 1 John chapter 3, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. 
He knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. If you have struggled to receive the love of God, when the enemy of your heart condemns you, God's word tells us God is greater than our hearts. I love that this morning. What a message. His love is greater than the condemnation you might be feeling right now. His love is greater. And for this reason, we can stand confidently before God and receive his love. For those of you who don't know, my wife, Shelly, she's a kindergarten teacher here at a, at a public school, and, and she loves that age group. I'm going to show you why she loves that age group. I ask her about every day. Tell me a story. She always has stories. You're always going to have stories when you're teaching five-year-olds, right? Like for some kindergartens, like, why would you ever want to do that? But I'm going to tell you why. Here's how her day starts. Day two this year, student comes in. She's gotten to know Mrs. Maddox. And he says, Mrs. Maddox, I love you. And she's like, I love you. He says, do you feel it in your heart? I feel it in my heart. He says, do you feel it deep inside? How can you not love that, right? That's why you teach five-year-olds. Now, the rest of your day might be a mess, but that's a great way to start your day. But I was thinking about that this morning. Connection point. God loves you. Do you feel it in your heart today? Do you feel it deep inside? You should. May you constantly be reminded of the love of God in your life because that's our starting point today. So have you accepted the love of God? Would you consider doing it today if you haven't? God, out of love, he gave us a free will to choose love. Because love cannot be forced. It can't be mandated. That's not love. So as we close today, my encouragement would be, accept God's love. And it is a choice you've got to make daily. Even after you make that initial choice of, God, I accept the free gift of your love. But you still have to choose it. And I would say choose it today again. Because love is a defining characteristic of Christians. Because God is love. Jesus loves you today. And love is a defining characteristic of Christians because it shows the world we belong to Jesus. When we love well, the world should see that we belong to Jesus. Jesus, before going to the cross, he tells his disciples, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. But the interesting thing is, this at first doesn't seem like a new command. I've often wondered, did he give a pause there? Like it's not written in our scripture. A new command, love one another. Because the disciples have already got to be thinking back to, to Leviticus 19.18. They're already familiar with this book. They have it. It's, it's part of our Old Testament today. And when you look at this verse, it already says there, do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against a fellow Israelite, but love your neighbor as yourself. I'm the Lord. So they already have this commandment. But then Jesus adds to this statement, and what came next was unthinkable. What came next changed the world. And might I add this morning, perhaps if we would move what came next to the top of our agendas, it might change the world again. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you also are to want love one another. That was new. Jesus became the standard of Christian love. Doing for others what one hoped would uh, others would do in return. That was no longer enough. Jesus instructed his followers, do unto one another as he had done for them. He raised the bar. This was a whole nother kind of love. 
This love was anchored in a person, which made it extraordinarily personal for the men who were seated at that table that night. You see, when we read, as I have loved you, we think of the cross, right? But that's not what these guys were thinking. The cross hadn't happened yet. No, they were thinking back over the previous three years. And you know, perhaps each man was transported back to a particular moment when Jesus had loved them particularly well. I mean, Jesus could have called them out. Matthew, remember the first time we met? You were despised by your community, an embarrassment to your family, but I invited you to follow me anyway. Matthew, extend that same grace to everyone you meet for the rest of your life, as I have loved you. Nathaniel, remember the day that we met? Remember what you said about me? Can anything good come from Nazareth? You totally made fun of my town, my family, my childhood friends. But I invited you anyway. Extend that same grace and forgiveness to everyone you meet. As I have loved you. Guys, y'all remember the afternoon, my blood-drinking, flesh-eating illustration offended and confused the crowd and we started losing them? Every single one of you guys was thinking about leaving me to fend for myself. And I could have left you to fend for yourselves. You certainly deserved it. But I didn't, and I never brought it up again. Do unto others as I have done unto you. And for good measure, he could have added, and gentlemen, if you think you've seen me love, tighten your sandals. You haven't seen anything yet. You see, once we have accepted the love of Jesus, what he has done for us, Jesus expects us to display that love toward others. That's what he's expecting. This new thing, this new commandment is this mutual affection that we have for one another on account of Christ's great love for us. That's the motivation. A community, this community, the church, has been created on the basis of Jesus' work for us, and there's a new relationship within it because of what he did. So we, out of gratitude for what Jesus has done for us, what we do is we display that same kind of love toward one another. That's what he's asking. And Jesus goes on to say, by this, by this extraordinary type of love, all people will know you are my disciples as you love each other like this. What he's saying is, is that this kind of supernatural love will show people you belong to me. That's what Jesus is saying. All people will know we belong to Jesus if and only if we love like this. Which also means when we don't love well, people can't see Jesus in us. So how are we doing loving our Christian brothers and sisters? How are you doing? Make it more personal this morning. Evaluate yourself. Are you willing to love them like Jesus has loved you? It's vital we learn how to love like this because our ability to fulfill the mission to advance God's kingdom in the world, it's dependent on it. So remember, we've been building on this series that we're better together, that we have a king, we live in a kingdom, God's word is our guide and a mission to fulfill, but we can't fulfill the mission unless we love like this. So it's important we figure it out. Our love for one another shows the world we belong to Jesus. So how do we love like this? That's the real question this morning. How do we love each other like Jesus has loved us? And the interesting thing is, Paul shows us a lot of ways how we're to do this. And what we're going to find as we look at 
some of what he shares is that love is a defining characteristic of Christians that must be worked into the life of every believer. Every one of us has to work this out. Every one of us. You see, Paul, he was a devoted Jew who at one time was persecuting Christians. He was actually at the stoning of a a New Testament believer, first century believer, Stephen. He was at his stoning, condoning it. We find this in Acts chapter 7. But what happens is, is the resurrected Jesus, he confronts Paul, and Paul has his life completely turned upside down by Jesus. And so Paul, he spends a number of years in study, understanding how scripture is fulfilled in Jesus. And eventually what happens is he starts traveling around what's modern day Turkey and Greece and Italy and other places. And, and what he's doing is he's, he's gathering groups of people together, disciples, into churches that met in homes. And, and as he goes and continues to share the gospel, he'll write back letters to them, instructing them how to live. And here's what I found. As you read New Testament books, like 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, all of these, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, all of these letters that Paul's writing to these churches is what you find repeatedly is Paul instructing how these believers are to love well, over and over, because he knows it's a defining characteristic for Christianity. But he also understood that these things won't come naturally for believers. And so his ongoing instruction was meant to help instruct us on how we love well, Paul understands we have to work together to fulfill the mission, and supernatural love is necessary to require it. So I just want to look at one of those passages this morning, Colossians chapter 3. So here's just one. I just pulled one out of one book. You could look at, at all kinds of passages, but here's one. Paul writing the believers in Colossae. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Always the starting point is because of what God has done, we do. That's it, over and over. And above all these, what's he say? Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body. So how do we love one another like Jesus loved us? With compassion, concern for one another, with kindness, being friendly, generous, and considerate, with humility, thinking of others as higher than yourself, with meekness, being strong but easy to live with, with patience to accept hardship or inconvenience without getting angry or upset, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and why it always goes back to because Jesus has done it for us. We do because of what Jesus has done. We will find this over and over as people living in God's kingdom. And what does Paul say love does? I love this. Love binds everything together in perfect harmony. In a world that's increasingly divided, we have the solution to how we come together. And the answer is love. When we bear with one another and forgive each other, we begin to live with each other in perfect harmony, Paul's saying. And then the peace of God begins to rule in our hearts. So here's what happens. When we start to live like this, a dying world looks at us and says, how can they live like that? How come they have peace in these uncertain times? I need what they have. How can I get it? I need to receive that kind of love. I need to have that kind of peace in my life. How can I find it? And then we have the answers. 
This is how this works. We love, and let me say this, not in our own strength. We can't love like this naturally. It's Holy Spirit-empowered love that enables us to do it. And I would say this, and not to have love. I kind of skipped over it in First John, but I want to come back to it. Not to have love. What John says is not to have God. Because here's what we find in First John chapter 4. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, he says. But here's the other. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. So it turns out love is a prerequisite for knowing God. So it's important we learn to love well for our sakes and the sakes of others. It's important for us to understand this morning that the people around us, the people in this congregation, they're actually a test of love for us. Every one of us. The person you're sitting next to this morning gets to be a test of love for you. I was thinking as I was working through this passage, I thought, you know, I could have been a test of love for people. And it's like, I don't know whether to say sorry or you're welcome, right? Like according to this passage, because God works out love in our relationships with one another. What happens is the Holy Spirit begins to form Jesus in us as we learn to love well within the body of Christ. This is actually just talking about within the body right now. And if we can figure that out, then the world begins to ask questions about how we love like that. We get to practice love with one another. And in so doing, Jesus is formed in us. As we practice compassion and kindness and humility and meekness, Jesus is being formed in us, and the world sees it. And I would imagine most of us recognize we're living in a very divided world right now. And maybe this bothers you. It's unsettling for sure. It's, it's unsettling to turn on the news right now. But I would say this. We as the church have an incredible opportunity to shine brightly right now. If we love well, it should stand out big in the world right now, right? It absolutely should. We have an incredible opportunity to be a witness to the world about the difference that Christ makes in a loving community. I was thinking about this in practical terms. It means you need to become comfortable loving those not like you. That's where it's really tested, right? It means thinking about the, the arena and we're getting close to a vote time. And I, I've spoken in churches from Maryland to California, so missions, fundraising. I was all over the place from, from North Dakota to Florida. And what I learned as someone who really grew up in the Midwest, man, the body of Christ is vast and it is varied as you travel this nation. But that actually applies even here in our local congregation. What does that mean for us? It means you have both conservative and liberal brothers and sisters in Christ. You do. And that's an awesome thing. But it means you've got to learn how to love those people that are maybe not like you or not in the same groups that you're in. That's where love is tested. And the same holds true. I think about this all the way across the board as it relates to race, nationality, educational background, socioeconomic class, and everything. We really must become convinced. This is the whole part of the series. We have to become convinced we truly are better together with all of our backgrounds and all of the groups that we're involved in because collectively, no one of us alone can touch the greater Lafayette area, but collectively, I am convinced between what's in the sanctuary, our overflow rooms, and at home on couches, we are a part of every group and network that's in the greater Lafayette area. And I think then, what does that mean? So better together is all about us than having the capacity to influence those groups for the kingdom. So I'm thankful that we've got people in different groups and different political affiliations. Why? Because that's how the gospel advances in our world today. Are you tracking with me this morning? This is how we get it done. 
people should look at this congregation and say, how can those people from all those different races and nationalities, political affiliations and educational backgrounds love each other like they do? That's what the world should be asking. And our resounding answer should be, because of how Jesus has loved us. That's why we, who are at one time enemies of God, are now forever reconciled to him. And so who are we to withhold love to those we might otherwise consider enemies? Because we live in the kingdom of God. We no longer need to advance our many kingdoms in this world. And so we can confidently love others, all others, knowing God's in charge. He's the one securing our lives. And so then we can be free to supernaturally love all of those we would not naturally love on our own. That's what we get to do. So that's the question. How are you doing? Loving your brothers and sisters of a different race, of a different political affiliation, of a different educational background, different professional backgrounds. Jesus would say, as I have loved you. As I have loved you. To be Christians, we must be defined by love. We must be. And if you're still unsure this morning about how the nature of love defines us as the people of God, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking to thousands in the Galilee region. And in verse 43, here's what Jesus says. You have heard the law that says, love your neighbor. He's referring to that Leviticus 19.18. But then he adds, and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as two true children of your Father in heaven. For he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. If you love only those who love you, what reward is there in that? Even corrupt tax collectors do that much. If you are kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even pagans do that. But you are to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. He wants us to love perfectly. And we learn that in the practical arena of our lives. Just as the phrase God is love was and is unique to the Christian faith, so the phrase love your enemies, that was unique to the teachings of Jesus. That was unique to Jesus. And now you should know why Jesus can say that, to love your enemies. Why? Because in the kingdom of God, he did that for us. He did it for us so we can do it for others and he expects it. While we were enemies of God, Jesus died for us. And Jesus says, in that way, when we do this, in that way, you act as true children of your Father in heaven. When we love our enemies, those not like us, even those who seek to cause us harm, it's as though God looks at us and says, like a proud parent, that's my boy, that's my girl. They're reflecting my image today, cheering us on from the sidelines. They're a chip off the old block. And apparently loving like this if the more and more we practice it, love is perfected in us. As I have loved you, you are to love, Jesus instructs us. Consider this this morning. What marriage problem will that kind of love not solve? What relationship with your difficult children would, would that not at least create a crack in their hearts and minds to eventually give in and to listen? What would this kind of love not fix? So the reason, if, as you enter out of the sanctuary, if you're in the sanctuary this morning, we've got signs on the back wall that says, what does love require of me? The reason we put those there is because every week 
We should ask ourselves that question. In every interaction we have, what does love require of me? In every situation, you ask yourself that. And as you begin to do that, you start to become a chip off the old block. You start to look a lot like your father. You resemble him. You see, once we start living life through this filter, it begins to become extraordinarily clear what it is to live like as a follower of Jesus. And what we'll find is, we usually know the answer to that question, but the problem is, oftentimes it's an answer we don't want. Do what, God? But this is when we get to move from natural love to Holy Spirit-empowered love. And God's kingdom then advances in our lives and the lives of people around us in supernatural ways. How much different could your home life be if you love like this? How much better could your relationships with people in this congregation be if you love like this? How could your work environment change if this is how you loved? I think it's worth finding out. I'm going to invite you to stand as we close in song this morning. Musicians are going to come and play. And I, my prayer is that you respond to the love of God. Maybe you've been following Jesus for years, but you've forgotten the love he holds for you. You cannot love well unless you daily live in the love of God for you. You've got to live in it. You've got to choose it every day. But maybe you're here today and you've never accepted the free gift of God's love. But today's your day. Today's the day you accept that love so that you can love better yourself. So if that's you today and you'd say, I want to accept a free gift of God's love. With every head bowed in this room, it's an opportunity for you to respond. Just raise your hand and I'm going to pray with you as we, as we close. Respond to the love of God. It all starts there. When God says to you, Jacob, I love you. Lisa, I love you. He'll put your name in there. And he could ask, do you feel it in your heart? Do you feel it deep inside? You should be able to say yes. And then you respond to that love. And as you respond to that love, you get to love in the same way. So if you're here today ready to receive that love, to say, I, I accept that gift of love because love, choosing it, God gives us a free will. He can't force it upon us. We have to choose it. So who here today would like to accept God's love in that way? Say, I accept the love of God for me today. Raise your hand. I'm just going to pray with you as we depart. Anybody here today? Who here today would say, that's me? If you're part of our overflow rooms, you can raise your hand in there. We've got people to, to pray with you there. If you're at home, we've got one over here on the left. Anybody else wants to accept that free gift of God's love? If you're at home, you can type it in your comments. I accepted that today. Jesus, we just thank you that you offer your love to us. Lord, we can't love like you until we first accept your love. So Lord, I thank you for, for those that accepted your love this morning. God, I pray that they walk in that love today. Pray that you set them free in their hearts in ways they've never experienced before as they just fully embed themselves in it. And God, I just pray that all of us respond to your love today. As we close in song, I pray, Lord, that we receive the love you have for us today so that we can be better representatives of you to the world in which we live. And Lord, we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.